0: Saints, James chapter 4, this evening. Now, as we've been going through the book of James, we've noted that the um, the key verse for us is actually found in James chapter 2, verse 8. It deals with visible faith. And all it says is, in James 2, 8, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you do well. James, in all honesty, is a book that really says, you know, you can say you have faith, but it really comes to where the rubber hits the road. And is your faith visible? Or is it something that you simply say you have, say you do, but nothing tangibly that you can see in your own life allows you to gravitate and really believe that you have faith. They're words, not deeds. And so as James has been moving into that area of, as we were last week, dealing with the tongues, dealing with the wisdom that is from God, and we looked at in verse 17 of James 3 where he says, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy, good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy, Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Where do wars and fights come from among you? You understand that within the the, the Greek there isn't a stop, there isn't a change, a paragraph. Let's put a new chapter in here. It's a flow. And within that flow what we see is that we move from that area of this wisdom that is pure, peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy, good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy to wars. Now, that's a contrast. As we see this contrast, what we're going to see in chapter 4 is basically just four sections. In the first six verses, we're going to see an area of just coveting. In other words, it's going to be the, the, the wars, the wanting. You can just call it the coveting. In verses 7 through 10, we're going to see the confession or the washing. Cleanse your hands, purify your hearts. In verses 11 through 12, we're going to see this condemnation, speaking evil of one another, the words that we use. And then as we get into verses 13 through 17, we're going to be seeing here the considering, planning to say, well, this is what I'm going to do and and making my own plans, my own understandings versus the waiting on God. And so those are the the, the four sections that we'll be looking at here tonight. Verses 1 through 6, the coveting. Verses 7 through 10, the confession. Verses 11 through 12, the condemnation as we condemn others. And then in verses 13 through 17, the considering. Be careful what you think you're going to do tomorrow. So as he opens up this area of the the coveting, keep in mind that the whole basic understanding of this first part of chapter 4 is that coveting leads to conflict. In other words, when, when when you want something, there's a conflict. First of all, there's a conflict on the inside, my own heart, my own mind, because I'm I'm thinking I want this, I want this, or I need this, and I'm trying to figure out is it a want, is it a need, you know, how desperately do I need it, what am I willing to do to get it, and then if someone else has it, then there's this conflict of why do you have it and I don't? Why were you so special that, that you got to have it? Don't I serve the Lord? Shouldn't I have something similar? And there's this conflict that begins to happen. And that's why he says very openly here in the first verse, where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desire for pleasures that war in your members? So we see that here these wars and fights are actually internal initially. They, they come simply because of, of what I desire. They come from my members, in other words, inside of me. And I think that it's interesting that as we look to where these wars and fights come from, what happens is this. We begin to covet. We begin to think, I deserve this or I need this. And so he then says in verse 2, you lust and you do not have, you murder, you covet, and you cannot obtain. So there's this desiring to say, you know, "I'm, I'm wanting it, I'm wanting it, I'm wanting it. Keep in mind that there's all kinds of wars that we can have. I mean, you can have wars within the church. You can have wars within society. You can have wars within countries. I mean, just name it. You can have wars at your workplace. You can have wars among your neighbors. I mean, you can have wars in your family, brothers and sisters, parents and children. You can have all kinds of wars. But it's interesting that these wars and fights come because they it's a desire for pleasure. I want, I want, I want. It's been said that what we are created to be is servants of God, and he knows it. He knows that, that we are created and we're most blessed and most happy when we're serving God, listening to his voice and walking in his will, and, and he gives me what I need, and I'm content with that, but my heart is to serve God. The problem being is when I turn it around and thinking, okay, God, I've served you for a while. Now I need you to serve me. And like irate, like I haven't been saved from you know, death. And yet so often we have this mindset of thinking, God, you owe me. You, I, I deserve this. But it comes through wanting and wanting and wanting. Have you ever noticed that when you're serving God, there's this almost a contentment, a pleasure, thinking I'm serving you. sometimes I don't serve him right. Sometimes I make mistakes in the serving. But while I'm serving him, I'm content. Now, when I'm not serving him, when I'm not giving of myself, what I'm taking or wanting for myself, you ever notice that when you want something that it's never enough? I want something now, and then I want something later, and then I want something beyond that. And uh, it, it's one of these things where you, no matter what you have, you always want a little bit more. There have been times where my wife and I, we've gone out, sometimes just the two of us, and sometimes it's been with other people. But what's interesting is this, is we'll go out, and some restaurants are known for their portions. You get lots And lots and lots of food, and I'm one of those that will eat my portions. I will eat the lots and lots and lots of food, and you're 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 full. You you are absolutely full, and and all of a sudden, you're 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 eating your food and you're getting full, and you're seeing the waitress walk over to another table. (laughs) You go, oh my goodness, that looks good. And I'm chowing down on my meal here, but all of a sudden this other meal looks just as good. And then the waiter, the waitress, when you're when you're almost done, they bring out this tray. I don't know if you ever see it. They don't just say, Would you like dessert? That, that used to be what they do, but now they bring out a tray with all the desserts on it. So you can see it. So you can drool over it. And although you've consumed this mass quantity of food, you're thinking, Maybe just a little more. Like I need an extra 3,000 calories on top of the 5,000 I've already consumed. And yet we always want just a little bit more. And whenever it is that I'm wanting something and I get something and then I'm like, well, maybe I want something a little bit different than that. Maybe I want something. And there's always understandings. There's upgrades, if you if you know what I mean. And so it's interesting that I love that heart because I think we're created to serve, and we're created to give. I think that's how God made us, and that's when, when, we, when we serve and we give. I think we're, we're very contented. As long as we're serving the Lord and giving it unto him, we're doing it unto God and not unto man. You do it unto man, you get burned out. You do it unto God, it just becomes worship. And I'll tell you what, worship doesn't burn you out. Worship just continues and continues and continues, and you have that right mindset. But once we think that I need this and I need this and no longer am I the servant, or I'm the steward, but now I'm the one in charge. Now I want God to be my servant. Lord, you need to do this for me. And whenever it is that I'm pursuing something, it's never gonna be enough. It just no matter what it is that I'm wanting at that time, that desiring that we see here that I wore in my members at the end of verse one that you lust and you do not have. Now, when Solomon was pursuing knowledge, pursuing wisdom, he would write the book of Ecclesiastes. And in that, he would just pursue all these things. He'd pursue wealth, he'd pursue wisdom, he'd pursue, you know, just um, pleasure, all these things that he would pursue. He'd pursue knowledge. And eventually, when he got all of these things, he realized that I've I've gained as much knowledge as any man has ever gained, and (laughs) that was it now i got knowledge pleasure i'm gonna have to pleasure and pleasure and all of a sudden like there's never enough for pleasure and eventually he came to a conclusion he says you want to know what the end of it all is you really want to know what man's all is serve god love god and keep his commandments that was it just love god serve him and, and I, I love the heart because Solomon gets it. He pursued and pursued it. And he didn't just like kind of a little pursue. He pursued it to the furthest extremes. Solomon was definitely an A personality. He didn't say, I'm going to do this a little bit, but he would pursue it to the furthest. And we understand a little bit now where these wars and fights come from among us, that it's because... There's something bitter in me. There's something not right in me. And so I, 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 I lust and I do not have. And what happens is this, within this, the, this lusting, within this, this thing that I'm just never, never satisfied. And that's what the lusting is. It's just I, I want, I want, and whenever I have something, it's just never quite enough. And so keep in mind that what James is going to do here is he's going to be more concerned with where the heart is, where the spirit of my discussions or the spirit of my contemplations of what I'm coveting is versus the who's right and wrong. And a lot of times we think, well, I'm right, they're wrong. And so, you know, you need to do it my way. I'm the one who has the greater knowledge of you. And that's why it was so important that we looked at verses 13 through 17 um, this last Sunday. It was just so important to look at really the, the, the wisdom that is either from above or from below. And as it comes into this wisdom that is central, earthly, and demonic, we see that's where the wars and the fights come from. And he says, don't they come from your desires for pleasure? I don't have enough. This isn't enough. I should, I I earn more. I deserve more. Something should be more. And so I'm bitter on the inside and I'm fighting for these things. I'm fighting for attention. I'm fighting for relationship. I'm fighting for all these things. And yet God says, I've given you me. Am I not enough? Sometimes that's the only place you can go when he goes in verse two, he says, where you lust and you do not have, you murder and you covet and you cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. And so we see here that he talks about now this area of that we don't obtain. We fight and we war, we murder. I think when it comes to that fight and war and murder that I don't think it's this actual murder that we think of. There's a lot of subtleties that James does that is almost referencing the Sermon on the Mount. And if you're familiar with that one passage there in the Sermon on the Mount, in, in Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse um, 20 through, oh, we'll go to 23. He says, "For you, I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. You've heard that it's said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you, is angry with his brother shall be in danger of the judgment. Whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of the hellfire. Do you understand cutting down your brother, not loving? The wisdom that is from the world. And so he says that within this area, he says, you're you're, you're constantly lusting. You're constantly lusting, verse 2, and you don't have. You're never, ever satisfied with what God has given to you for the day. And we fight and we war for more and more and more. And then he says this, and what was interesting, that he says that you do not have because you do not ask. It's so often that when we desire that we want something, that we check things out on the internet and see, okay, how do I get a hold of this now? Where can I get my best deals? Or we you know, call around our friends and say, hey, do you know where I can get a hold of something like this? And we do all this other research, but rarely do we say, Father in heaven, you know my heart, you know my life, you know my needs. What is your will for it? What is your desire and I think it's important that we see here, there, there's two areas that he talks about. One is there's no prayer at all. You, you basically, you do not have because you do not ask. We're not asking of God. We're, we're, we're looking at people, we're worrying against people rather than trusting that God, you know, I'm gonna come to you and if it's, if it's your heart, you're going to do this. And, and so often we see that when we're asking of God, Be careful that when you ask of God, you're not asking as he's your servant. And this is important because so often we're saying, God, I need you to do this. I need you to do this. I need you to fix that. Like like he's our servant and we're not his. And that we want him to take care of these things for us. So one of the things that he says is you, one, you do not have because you do not ask. The second thing he says, not only is there nor, no prayer, but the, the, the prayer itself is selfish in nature. He says in verse 3, you ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. Adulterers and adulteresses. Now, the the, the term here, adulterers and adulteresses, the adulterers and was not in the original text. Um, most scholars believe that some scribes were thinking this had to do with physical adultery versus spiritual adultery, and I would agree with what the commentators say, um, because it's just as adulterous is. In other words, that, that we are like that wife of Jehovah as that type, as that symbol, and where, where he's our God and we're you know committing adultery Pursuing others other than him. So he just simply says, adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And we realize that God says, don't don't make yourself a friend of the world. Why? Well, you know that passage in Matthew chapter 6 verse 24 where Matthew very clearly makes this point, and he says this, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate one and love the other, or else he'll be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. It's important to realize that what we understand in these things is be careful how you pursue the things of the world. Two passages I want to share with you. One is in Galatians chapter 1, verse 4. Let me read it to you. Galatians 1 4, he says, Who gave himself, this is speaking of Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil age. Jesus died for us to deliver us from the world. He died for us so that we would no longer have to be a part of this world. When John was writing his epistle, in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, John makes this statement. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever." You're either pursuing the world or you're pursuing God. And he says, you basically, you're, I don't count you on offense. You're one or the other. If you're pursuing the world, you're not pursuing me. And so we see here that, that God, you know, really does this warning through James where he says "Adulteresses." in verse four. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. In other words, if if the world is an enemy of God and you're making yourself a friend of the world, then you're what? Then you're making yourself there with the world, an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain that the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously, but he gives more grace? Therefore, he says, God resists the proud and he gives grace to the humble. At this point, this one verse here trips up a lot of people. And the reason it does is where, as the translators depict this verse, they said, Or do you think that the scripture says in vain? Now, when they say, Do you think that the scripture says in vain? and then it says, The scripture who dwells in us yearns jealously, that they're saying that's a quote from somewhere in the Bible. Let me tell you, it's not, it's not a passage. Now it is in a sense it's part of the scripture as a whole and so he could be saying as the scripture says um, the scripture does not say do you think the scripture says in vain where you know he's whereas in the whole of the scripture not just a quote of a passage and so that's a possibility there's another possibility that I think is is probably either as good or maybe better. Now, the American Standard Version and of the Bible and the Darby Bible do something interesting with this. They actually make this passage or do you think that the scripture says in vain? question mark. They make that first part a statement or a question. Do you think that the scripture says in vain? So so when we're looking at that, he talks about here, like in verse 4, adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Do you not think that the scripture says in vain? So he pauses and makes that a question. And then he says, the spirit who dwells in us, um, he desires... jealously or enviously and so he makes this portion into two questions versus the one so one of the two either he's not quoting just so you know he's not quoting a specific passage like Matthew will often say as he you know the fulfill the words of the prophet so and so we can actually find that word in the old testament you can't find the scripture in the old testament there is a, um, a little bit of clarity that we can kind of grasp a bit of. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 10 through 14, I want to read it to you, but it begins this. But God has revealed them to us through his Spirit, for the Spirit searches the th- all things. Yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual And then he says in verse 14, but the natural man does not receive the things of the spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. And so we see here that it is the the spirit who tries to quicken us and teach us and, and, and grow us. And the spirit yearns for us to have this beautiful, intimate relationship with God. That's his whole heart. He said, I have to leave to send you this comforter, to send you this Paracletus, one who's going to come alongside of you. And he's going to convict the world of sin, yes, but he's going to reveal all the things that I've said, how much the Father loves you, how much he wants to have this relationship and what he's willing to do for that relationship. And although we see here that that Holy Spirit will often convict us of compromising which he does when these wars and fights and everything else. The spirit tries to say, listen, don't do the wars and fights. Come back to God, you know, rest in him. But it does say this after verse 5, where the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously. He so wants us to be close to God, but he gives more grace. So even though the spirit will convict us of compromising The Holy Spirit is going to say, oh, I'm going to just shine on you. And I'm going to just overpower you with grace. So when you have compromise, understand this. He gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So when you find yourself compromising and the Spirit convicts you, just humble yourself. That's all you have to do. Just say, okay, I'm not right. You're right. And if you do that, then realize that when you're already compromised and the Spirit tries to convict you, you say, I'm not wrong. Well, it says here, God resists the proud. Just humble yourself. And when you say, okay, I'm wrong, good. God gives grace to the humble. It's just this basically building upon this. Now, when it comes to coveting, it comes to this whole area of just wanting and wanting and wanting, What I want to do is this. I want to give you two connections to an understanding of what this is. And we're going to actually stay with those connections as we go through this chapter. But initially when it comes to covening, the first thing that I would like you to do is to um, turn in your Bibles to the the, the book of Judges. And so you can put a marker in Judges chapter um, 16 And then you can put another um, marker in your Bible in Luke chapter 15, because we're going to be looking at two things. Now in Judges chapter 16, um, initially I'm going to start reading in Judges 14, um, the the first two, verses two through three. In Judges 14, verses two through three, let me read this to you. It just says this, speaking of Samson, He goes down to Timnah, verse 1. He sees a woman in (coughs) Timnah of the daughter of the Philistines. And verse 2 says this of Judges 14. He went up and told his father and mother, saying, I've seen a woman in Timnah of the daughter of the Philistines. Now, therefore, get her for me as a wife. Do you think he's coveting? It's interesting that he sees this woman, and and I don't think that he was thinking, I think she's really smart. For whatever reason, he's coveting. I, I saw this woman, and I want this woman. And it's interesting that the Scripture actually makes a statement, where do wars and fights come from? Doesn't it come from your desires? Well, understand what begins to happen here with Samson. And his covenant, In verses 14 through 18 here of Judges 14, it says, so he goes and as he's preparing this this marriage, he comes and he says to them as far as telling this riddle to the, the, the Philistines. So he said to them, out of the eater came something to eat, out of the strong came something sweet. Now for three days they could not explain the riddle, but it came to pass on the seventh day that they said to Samson's wife, entice your husband that he may explain the riddle to us or else we will burn you and your father's house with fire. Have you invited us in order to take what is ours? Is that not so? Then Samson's wife wept on him and said, You only hate me. You do not love me. You have posed a riddle to the sons of my people, but you have not explained it to me. And he said to her, Look, I'm not explaining it to my father or my mother, so why should I explain it to you? You understand that he wants her, she wants information. The other ones want information, and they're willing to simply say, well, we're going to come, and we're going to burn you and your father's house with fire. We're going to torture you all. Do you understand where the war and fighting is coming from? From a desire to obtain. One wants to know the answer to the riddle. One wants all the stuff, because they can't answer the riddle. And she gets involved, and now she's whining and complaining and crying and, And then eventually, verse 17, now she wept on him the seven days while the feast lasted. Now, seven days of a crying woman. I'm not going to explain that one. I'm just going to stay right there. Seven days she wept on him. Not just wept near him, wept on him. He walks away, she follows him holding on, weeping, weeping, weeping. And on the seventh day, he told her. Okay, so he gives in. On the seventh day, because she pressed him so much, then she explained the riddles to her people. So the men on the seventh day said to him, on the seventh day before the sun went down, what is sweeter than honey and what is stronger than a lion? And he said to them, you would not plow with my heifer you would have not solved my riddle. So we see here, understand where these wars and fights come from. Samson is coveting this woman, coveting the things, and and he's coveting. They're coveting. She's coveting. They're all wanting something. And what happens? Wars and fights. Exactly like that. In Judges chapter 16, I want to start reading in verse 4, and it begins this, Afterward, it happened that he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came, upon her, came up to her and said to her, "'Entice him and find out where his great strength lies, and by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him and afflict him. Every one of us will give you 1,100 pieces of silver.'" And Delilah said to Samson, please tell me where your great strength lies and with what you may be afflicted. And so she now wants information. The lords of the Philistines want information, and so they're coveting. I need to know where strength lies. And so he goes, well, if they bind me with bowstrings. So what happens is this, is the, you know, the, the Philistines bring to her fresh, fresh bowstrings, and what she does is that the, the, she ties him up, and, and then she goes, you know, she said to him, she goes, the Philistines are, are upon you, Samson. And he gets out, he breaks the bro strings. Like, well, apparently that wasn't it. So Delilah said, listen, you've mocked me. And, and okay. And so he said, all right, well, she goes, tell me what you can be bound with. He says, okay, fresh ropes, if they're new ropes, not bowstrings, ropes, you need ropes. And so basically she gets ropes and then she, you know, waits and she goes, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And after he ties them and he just breaks the rope. And now she's again, she's frustrated. Again, you've mocked me. You've mocked me. Tell me with what you may be bound with. And he says, all right, um, if you weave my locks of hair into this loom, then... I'm going to lose my, my, my strength. Can't, it has to be flowing. And so she goes and she weaves his hair into a loom. He goes to sleep. When he goes to sleep, she goes, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And, of course, he breaks the loom. And it's interesting that, that she says in verse 15 of Judges 16, How can you say, I love you when your heart is not with me? You have mocked me these three times and have not told me where your great strength lies. And it came to pass when she pastored him daily with her words and pressed him so that his soul was vexed to death that he told her all her heart. Now listen, if every time I said something, I woke up and it was happening to me, I would be questioning whether to speak forth this. But apparently his mind wasn't engaged in that. But he says, listen, it's my hair. No razor has ever come upon my head. And eventually what happens is this, is that she goes and she, he goes to sleep and he gets his head shaved. And I think it's interesting that that when he gets his head shaved, that all of a sudden then she goes, the Philistines are upon you. And it says in verse 20, so he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as before as at other times and I will shake myself free. And he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. One of the saddest verses in all the Bible, when the Philistines took him, put out his eyes, brought him down to Gaza, bound him with bronze fetters, and he became a grinder in the prison. And so we see that, you know, he was blinded, he was bound and became a grinder. And that was his, his life. That was what he did. It could have been used of God. But because he lusted and lusted and lusted and they lusted, and all these wars and fights coming in among you, because you're, you're lusting. And what you're lusting for, you, you're never really satisfied. You know, he wasn't satisfied with the Philistine woman. <laughs> he wasn't satisfied with Delilah after he got his hair cut. You know, just just understand where these wars and fights come from. Another passage that I wanted you to be aware of was found in Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15, I want to read from verses 11 through 16. You guys know it. It, it deals with the the... The, the prodigal son, or basically the, the prodigal sons in the plural. But in verse 11 through 16, then he said, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided them to his... Um, so he divided them his livelihood. So he gave to his sons their portions. And not many days after, the younger son had gathered all... T- Together journeyed to a far country where he wasted his possession with prodigal living. So this one son, the younger, began to covet. He says, well, if I wait till dad dies, then I'm beholding upon the magnanimous, you know, how kind my older brother is and how much he's going to give me. And older brothers were not known for their generosity. (laughs) So he says, I want it now while you're alive, dad, give me my portion. And then when he'd spent all, verse 14, on, when he spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. And he went and he joined himself to a citizen of the country, and he sent them into the fields to feed swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one would give him anything. Understand, he's coveting, he's coveting, he's coveting, warring and fighting against his older brother. And it's because I want what I want, and I want it now. And I'm going to now, once you give it to me, I'm going to leave. And understand, it doesn't pan out the way he wants it. But it's warring. There's always these desires. And when you have these desires, understand that they're not going to always turn out the way you want. And I think it's interesting that, you know, there are, are times where, um, you know, I've, I've counseled with people and they, they really say, you know, I, I just, I, I I want God. If he really loved me, he'd put this person in my life so I could love them and they could love me and it would be perfect. if God really loved me, he would put this person into my life. And then after they've been married, he said, if God loved me, why did he put this person in my life? You're, you're always confused at what went on, but it's always what I want at the moment. I want this in the moment, and then afterwards I want something different. We're never truly satisfied like Ecclesiastes. And so keep in mind that we have this coveting. With all this coveting, there's always these battles that come internally, externally. There are these battles that happen. Some are more outwardly obvious. Some are more internal, like between the younger brother and the older brother, the prodigal son. He wasn't going to wait to see the kindness of his older brother. And so we move from this area of where we're coveting, we're coveting, we're coveting. And this is where the wars and fights come from. And the spirit says, no, I don't want you to covet. And you want things. What you really want is just want a relationship with God. If you have that, you're going to have everything that you need. Seek first a kingdom and his righteousness. All these other things will be added unto you. And so where he made that statement at the end of verse 6, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And then he says in verse 7, therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. I think it's interesting that a lot of people try to do the second part of verse 7 before they do the first part of verse 7. They try to simply resist the devil. And, and so I don't know how many people, you know, pray and they, 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 you know, bind the devil and, you know, hedge the devil away and all these other things that we do, and, and we, we resist the devil, resist the devil, resist the devil. He says, just submit to God. I'll tell you what, when you're in the Father's hands and you're there experiencing his love as he, he holds you close to his heart, I I don't have to worry about the devil. The devil's like, hey, hey, I got something for you. like, compared to dad, you got nothing. Compared to this, this intimacy, the love I have here, it's submitting to God. That's the key. It doesn't just simply say resist the devil and he will flee. You submit to God and then resist the devil and he will flee. It's about drawing near to God and God first. He says in verse 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. It's really about coming to a place of repentance, coming to a place of acknowledgement. To realizing that, that I need to submit myself that this plan that I had wasn't a good plan. And I think it's, it's true when you really begin to understand that reality that the plan that you have really wasn't all that good. On those two comparisons, I want you to, to go back to Judges chapter 16 and start looking at verse 28. In Judges chapter 16, beginning verse 28, and I'm going to read all the way down to verse 31. And I want you to see what here Samson is going through. Judges 16, beginning in verse 28, says this, Samson called to the Lord saying, Oh Lord God, remember me, I pray. Strengthen me, I pray, just this once, O God, that I may with one blow take vengeance on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson took hold of the two middle pillars which supported the temple, and he braced himself against them, one on the right and the other on his left, And Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. And he pushed with all his might. And the temple fell on the lords and all the people who were in it. So the dead that he killed at his death were more than he had killed in his life. And his brothers and all his father's household came down and took him and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Eshkatal in the tomb of his father. And it's interesting that we see that Samson comes to the place of what? Oh, Lord, I blew it. Could you restore me? And what does God do? Well, it was kind of an interesting thing that when he cleanses his hand and he purifies his heart and he draws near to God, that God then draws near to him. And when he asks of the Lord, God says, I'll give you what you've asked. It's amazing and how this area of cleansing your hands, purifying your hearts, repentance, confession, and, 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 and wanting to be washed by God, cleansed of my sin, to be renewed once again. In Luke chapter 15, that same passage that we were looking at, remember what happened to that prodigal once he was there and would gladly fill his, his um you know, his stomach with the pods that he gave in verses 17 through 24. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare? And I perish with hunger and I will arise and go to my father and will say, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. And I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him, had compassion, ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven. And in your sight, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry for this my son was dead and is alive again and he was lost and is found and they began to be merry you understand what he did it's sort of like he cleansed his hands he purified his heart He said, let me draw near to God. And as he would come to the father, the father would come running out to meet him. It's almost like James knew what he was talking about here. He understands that with all this compromise that we have, the only way to fix the compromise is confession and coming back to God. It's about coming and doing your first works. Once again, just simply loving God and drawing to him. And so that's why he makes that statement in verse 8. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands you sinners. Purify your hearts you double minded. Don't, don't let your life continue in that wrong direction. Lament and mourn and weep. There needs to be this area where you truly have this point where you're changing your life. He says let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. No longer celebrate, this is what I want, this is what I'm going to do, and when it doesn't work out, just come back to God. And I think it's so important that, that when, you, when you do that, when you humble yourself, verse 10, in the sight of the Lord, he's going to lift you up. When you come back broken, he's going to bind you up. That's just who God is. That's his heart. But then James comes and he says, now, now when this happens to you, Or when it happens to someone else. And there's this warning here as far as be careful that you don't bring this attitude of condemnation towards others. Others who have fallen like you have fallen and are trying to come back like God allowed you to come back. So he says in verse 11, do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law you are not a doer of the law but a judge there is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy who are you to judge another and I think it's important to understand that we don't fully understand God's plan and how he's working things out I mean let's take a look at Samson for just a moment Now we we read in verse In chapter 14, I want to go back to chapter 14. I want to read the first six verses to you. It's important to really note these first six verses because it begins this. Now, Samson went down to Timnah. He saw a woman in Timnah, the daughters of the Philistines. So he went up and told his father and mother, saying, I've seen a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. Now, therefore, get her for me as wife. Verse three, then his father and mother said to him, is there no woman among the daughters of your brethren or among all my people that you must go get a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? And Samson said to his father, get her for me for she pleases me well. I'm thinking this is before the whining occurred. And as we see this, It says in verse 4 through verse 6, and this is key, but his father and mother did not know that it was of the Lord, that he was seeking an occasion to move against the Philistines. For that time the Philistines had dominion over Israel, so Samson went down to Timnah with his father and mother and came to the vineyards of Timnah, Now, to his surprise, the young lion came roaring against him, verse 6, and the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him. Do you understand what's happening? This is God. God is orchestrating this, although his parents didn't understand, and although many times we don't understand, understand God was orchestrating this. And as you see God orchestrating certain things, be careful that we don't speak evil of one another. Oh, I can't believe they would do that. Do you really know what God is doing in his art? Do you know what God is trying to do? Do you, in your finite mind and understanding of the world, do you really know infinitely what this infinite God is trying to do and as he's using that person? So be careful that we do not speak evil against another brethren. He who speaks evil of that brethren judges his brother. He speaks evil of the law. When when you do that, when you say, wow, you know, this is it, this is it. How do you know? How do you know what God is doing? In Luke chapter 15, and I want to share this passage with you, that as we look to that portion in verse 24 through 32, it opens up this. The father said, for this, my son was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and is found and they begin to be merry." Verse twenty-five. Now his older brother was in the field, and he came and drew near to the house, and he heard the music and the dancing, and he called to one of the servants, and he asked, "What these things meant?" And he said to him, "Your brother has come, and because he has received, he the father has received him, the younger brother, safe and sound. Your father has killed the fatted calf, but he was angry." and would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time, and yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. Sounds like a bit of an attitude. And he said, I've never transgressed your commandment. Well, his father was saying, come on in, come on in. Verse 30, as soon as this son of yours came, not my brother, this son of yours came who devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed a fatted calf for him. And he said, son, you're always with me and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad. No, he didn't say it's right that I should. He said it's right that we should make merry and be glad for your brother He doesn't say, my son, your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. It's interesting to be careful. And this here's that warning where James gives us in verse 11. He says, do not speak evil of one another, brethren. Be careful what you're saying. See, he's only pointing out the sin, the sin, the sin. And what he fails to understand is this, the grace that was bestowed and the grace that is was supposed. What do you want to focus on? If you want to focus on the condemnation, and that's what the law does. The law condemns us. The law simply says you failed here, you failed here, you failed here. And I I find it interesting that here through all this we see that he says do not speak evil of one another. He who speaks evil of a brother judges his brother. You speak evil of the law. You speak only condemnation. And remember what we were reading, remember what we were doing, because back in verse five and six, where it says, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously, but he gives more grace. See, what are you going to focus on? You're going to focus on the, the, the condemnation that they deserve, or are you going to focus on the grace that was given? Well, here's the question. Look in the mirror. Do you focus on the condemnation that you deserved, or do you rejoice in the grace that was given? And I'll tell you what, I'm so grateful that with all the sin that I have done, that God gave more grace. Where sin abounds, grace abounds even more. And so we see here, he's he's, he's talking about that there's going to be one judge, and it's God. And God wants to judge through the work of Jesus Christ, That's how he wants to, and that's why he says in verse 12, there's one lawgiver who's able to save and to destroy. It's God who's going to say, this one is is mine, this one is not. He says, who are you to judge another? Be careful. You don't fully understand what was going on with Samson. We don't understand what was going on with that younger brother, but we do know with Samson, God said, what? I purposed it for my plan. Be careful of how we judge things. And then he concludes this in verse 13 through 17, where he says, come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year over there, buy and sell and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, We shall live and do this or that. But now he says, You boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. So, as he's trying to talk to us, he's trying to say, Listen, be careful that you don't assume that you understand what's going to be happening. don't don't boast and say, well, I'm going to go to this city. I'm going to go to this city. We'll stay a year. We'll make this profit. Like we really understand what we're going to do. Keep in mind that so often we have this tendency of thinking that life is linear. In other words, next year is going to be like this year or the next year. And so we, we think it's going to always sort of be the same. We don't understand where verse 14 says, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. Boy, there was a rude awakening for that, wasn't there? Just a couple years ago. We don't know what's gonna to happen tomorrow. And and I think it happens both personally and socially. You think about this for just a second. Remember in, in Genesis chapter 41, Joseph was there in prison. And he'd been there for a couple of years after he talked to the, the butler and the baker. And then eventually, one day, just like The day before, the day before that, the day before that. But one day, the pharaoh had a dream that night. And he says, I need an interpreter. And the couple said, oh, my goodness, I know of an interpreter. And Joseph was taken from the prison one day. He was cleaned up, shaved up, brought up before the pharaoh and said, hey, here's my dreams. So Joseph said, well, this is what your dreams mean. You need to put someone in charge to get this done. And the pharaoh said, who's smarter than you? You were able to interpret the dream. So Joseph went literally from the prison to the palace one day. You don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. And I think it's important to realize that. But we always think what? That life is linear. It's always going to stay the same. I want to take you to a portion of, of scripture found in 1 Kings chapter 17. And it's the beginning of the ministry of Elijah. And I want to show you what happens to Elijah and how you can't always think that tomorrow is going to be like today. Because God is going to do a work, and sometimes the work that he's doing does not allow life to be linear. It begins this, 1 Kings 17, verse 1, Elijah the Tishbite, the inhabitants of Gilead, said to Ahab, The Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, therefore... There shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. So Elijah here is a tishbite. Nobody knows what a tishbite is, they're not that popular, not a lot of them in scripture. But he comes in before the king and he says, As. The Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand. There's not going to be dew or rain these years except at my word. He goes before the king. He gives this incredible proclamation. And the word of the Lord came to him saying, Get away from there, turn eastward, and hide by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. So he's standing before the king one day, and then God said, I want you to go and hide the next. Wait, wait, I'm, I'm, I'm here before the king. Let me stay before the king. No, no, you need to go hide. And he says in verse 4, and it will be that you shall drink from the brook that I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. Now you're going to be fed by ravens? And so he went and he did according to the word of the Lord, for he went and he stayed by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan, and the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. And it happened after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Now he said, no rain except for at my word. (laughs) Do you think you might want to change your word now? Now you're suffering the fact of your own prophecy. But he trusts in God. God didn't tell him to say another word. And now this brook dried up. And so he's now before the king, then he goes and he hides, and so he's being fed by ravens, which are unclean birds, drinking from this brook that eventually dries up. And then verse 8, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Arise and go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. Now think about this. All through the scriptures, what does God talk about the widows? It says, provide for the widows. And what does God say? I have a widow that's going to provide for you. And so he arose and went to Zarephath, and he went, came to the gate of the city, and indeed a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called her and said, please bring me a little water and a cup that I may drink. And as she was going to get it, he called and said, please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And so he said, as the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin and a little oil in a jar. And see, I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and for my son that we may eat it and die. (laughs) This is the one that's going to provide for him. And I love the heart of it because you don't ever know what God's plan is. He has you before a king, then he has you hiding out, and then he has this widow ministering to you. Well, in verse 13, Elijah said to her, do not fear, go and do as you've said, but make me a small cake from it first and bring it to me. And afterwards, make some for yourself and for your son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, the bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall The jar of oil run dry until the day the Lord sends rains on the earth. So she went away and did according to the word of Elijah. And she and her household ate for many days. The bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Elijah. Don't always think that you understand what's going on in the ministry, that you understand what's going on in your life. What may be doing well one day, standing before kings, making proclamations, sometimes God's going to say, well, we're going to move you on from there, son. It was nice. You're going to be back before the king. Don't worry about it. But first, we're going to have to do some other things. You got to hide by the brook. You got to have a widow take care of you. These are things that need to be done first. I'm doing a work in you. And I think it's so important where James says, hey, listen, be careful what you try to do because you do not know what will happen tomorrow. You just don't know. Another portion of scripture, because I want you to see how it works in society, but in Daniel chapter two, verses 37 through 44, I want to read this to you so that you can kind of grasp what's going on as far as society. Daniel chapter two, verse 37 Opens up, you, O king, this is Daniel speaking to King Nebuchadnezzar, are the king of kings. For the God of heaven has given you a kingdom, power, strength, and glory. And wherever the children of men dwell, or the beasts of the fields and the birds of the heaven, he has given them into your hand and has made you ruler over them all. You are the head of gold. He's telling Nebuchadnezzar, man, you're the bomb. But notice what he says. He says, Everything's in awe of you. Everything you are you are this head of gold. But in verse 39, it says, but after you. <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> you're only gonna be the bomb for so long. The only says, but after you. So when, when you when you see how there are, are leaderships and, and you know power struggles within the world. Understand, it's only going to be for a while, because God's going to move it on to something else. Verse 39, after you will arise another kingdom inferior to yours, and then another, a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth, and a fourth kingdom shall be as strong as iron, as much as iron breaks in pieces and shatters everything. And like iron that crushes, that kingdom will break in pieces And crush all the others, whereas you saw the feet and the toes partly of the potter's clay and partly of iron, the kingdom shall be divided, yet the strength of the iron shall be in it, just as you saw the iron mixed with ceramic clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly of iron and partly of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly fragile." As you saw the iron mixed with ceramic clay, they will mingle with the seed of men, but they will not adhere to one another, just as iron does not mix with clay. And then verse 44, he says this, And in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people and it shall not break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms and it shall stand forever. Amen to that. Because here's God says, listen, there's kingdoms, there's kingdom. They're going to come, they're going to come, they're going to go, they're going to come, they're going to go. And this one will be in power, then that one will be in power. But then God says, kingdom of men are done. Now I'm going to set up my kingdom. And I think it's important why James comes and says, don't don't be so sure to say, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. He says in verse 14, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow for what is your life. You don't know what your life is going to be. You don't know what your life is going to be required at any point. Your life right now is a vapor. It's just, it's a puff. I don't know if you've ever been like in the fall when the weather starts getting a little cold. You breathe out and you see this little cold vapor and then it just dissipates. That's what God said our life is like in light of eternity. Our life is but a blip. It's a vapor. And so when you're doing that and you realize that you're here for a little time and then you're gone. So what do you do? Well, you follow the will of the Lord. You follow what his heart is. You do what he declares and you say, if the Lord wills, then we're going to live and we're going to do this and that. If God desires, I'm going to serve him. This is what he does. And so if you're, if you're not looking to the Lord in his will, he says this, that you're boasting in your arrogance. And Such boasting is evil. Don't boast and think you're going to do anything. Just trust in God and do what he calls you to do. And then he makes this statement that is seemingly just kind of out of the blue, but it's not. He says, therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. There are sins of commission, and there are sins of omission. So understand that there's two types of sins. One, that you commit a sin, and two, you're supposed to do something and you don't do it. And I think it's important that what we should be doing is this. This is what a sin of omission is. I should be going to God every day and saying, God, you are good. And it's not, let my will be done on earth, you take care of it in heaven. It's no, your will be done, let me become a part of it, a servant, and do your will on earth, whatever that will is in heaven. And, and asking God what his will is, coming to him and saying, Lord, I, I want to know what your, what your will, what, what you desire and I think as, as we look to that, it's so important to have that, that grasp to really what, what God is wanting us to do. And so we see here that James is really opening up a great word for us to say, be careful what you're coveting, like Samson. Be careful what, what you think, oh, I really want this, because it could backfire on you. And, and, and so when, when you come to that place, remember there's this place of confession, Whenever you have that place of coveting and you've made that mistake, come to this place, cleanse your hand, purify your hearts, confess your sin, humble yourself, lament, mourn, and we come to God broken and he's going to pick you up. He's going to lift you up. And be careful of, of when you receive this grace of God that you don't look at others and condemn them. To say, well, look at who you are. Look at what you do. You deserve the wrath of God. You deserve the punishment of God. No, no. What we really do is this. We want more grace. And I think it's just so important where verse six, but the spirit gives more grace. And we should be a part of that, giving more grace and more grace and more grace. Why? Because the bottom line is, is I don't know what God is doing today. And I don't know what he's going to do tomorrow. So my heart is God rather than planning that, Let me just stay close to you. And whatever you walk, let me walk with you. That's what I want my life to be. That's what I want my life to represent. And may that be what we seek to do as we heed what James is trying to teach us here. Amen. Well, Father, we do thank you for your goodness and your grace, this word. The beauty of this word. (laughs) The the beauty, Lord, of just the the lives of those that were in the scripture. Samson, the prodigal son, the younger one. And we, we, we see your heart. We see how these things that James is saying, we see how they are lived out. And Father, we don't have to look to Samson. We don't have to look to the prodigal son. All we have to do is look back in our own